0: John 3, 16 to 18. We're going to be looking at a lot of passages today, and I plan on hitting them on the run. So if you don't find them quick, just hang on and I'll read it to you, and you can look at it later. We're not reading everything that's on the back of that today. There's a lot. For example, three chapters in Genesis, I think maybe five chapters in Genesis, actually. Uh, But this morning, We're getting back into our Misconceptions About Christianity series, and then we're going to be wrapping that up fairly soon. Uh, We've been going at this for about six weeks, and I've got plans for this week and then two weeks after this, and then we're going to start back into the New Testament epistles. Uh, That's where we left off as we were uh, going into the summer. And so far we've addressed, as I said, we've addressed six misconceptions about Christianity. Some of them have just been wrong from the start, right? straight up. They're incorrect. Uh, we, we acknowledge that God, uh, one of them is God won't give you more than you can handle. And we stated very clearly that yes, he absolutely will give you more than you can handle because he wants you to realize that you're completely dependent on him. And so he'll, if he has to, he will remove every support that you have underneath you and leave you hanging so that you reach out to him and nothing else. So he absolutely will give you more than you can handle. The, the next one was God wants you to be happy. So follow your heart is a terrible idea uh, completely untrue no god wants you to be happy so follow him right that's where you find happiness that's where you find joy Uh, so god does not want you to be happy in following your own heart he wants you to be happy in following him Uh, we also acknowledge that uh, a lot of people say heaven gained another angel after a loved one dies and no we don't become angels when we die that's not how this works Uh, And then the last one before I took the week off last week was that Jesus never claimed to be God. He actually does, does quite clearly. You just have to have a little bit more knowledge of the whole Bible. Uh, Jesus is very clear throughout the Gospels that he is God. Uh, Some of the misconceptions that we looked at, they weren't completely wrong. They were just misunderstandings, misinterpretations of what the Bible says Right? The Bible. One of those was the Bible says we're not to judge people. And while the Bible does say that, if you look at it in its proper context, it says that as followers of Christ, we're not supposed to judge people hypocritically. Right? We're supposed to acknowledge that we have sin in our life. We sometimes struggle with the same sin that we are seeing in other people. We need to acknowledge that sin. We need to confess that sin. We need to be held accountable for that sin. But on the other side of that, we are absolutely to judge one another within the church. We're supposed to speak into each other's lives and pull each other back away from the precipice of sin. Uh, and when we fall into that, we're supposed to say, hey, you fell into that, we, we wanna help you get out of that. We are absolutely supposed to judge others. Uh, also, money is the root of all evil. We addressed that one and we said that, now the King James Version does say the love of money is the root of all evil, but since that's not a true statement, Modern translators have changed that to the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil because sin is the root of all evil. Money is just a thing. There are lots of sins that we commit that are not motivated by money, and so we can't say that money is the root of all evil or the love of money is even the root of all evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. So it's just a misinterpretation of what's there. But today, we're going to look at a misconception about Christianity that comes from a statement that is technically true. Everything about it is true. Right? But it can be a very dangerous statement if we just leave it on its own. Right? If, again, with context. Context is king. If we leave this just floating out there, many dangerous things can happen. And the statement is that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. right? The statement itself is true. Break it down. There's only two parts. Right? Does God love sinners? Yes. Does God hate sin? Yes. Right? God loves sinners in that we are people who are deserving of wrath. Right? We are deserving of condemnation. We are people who deserve hell because God created us for a relationship with him and we have rebelled against him. We've gone our own way. We've decided to do our own thing. And in doing that, we have earned for ourselves separation and death. Right? We we're separated from God spiritually now. We enter into death and then we are separated from God forever in eternity in a place called hell. But God does not want that because God loves us. He sends Jesus, his son, who is God. By the way, we addressed that two weeks ago. And he sends Jesus into this world so that he could live the life that we are supposed to live. He died the death that we were supposed to die and he took God's wrath on our behalf and then if we will put our faith in him and repent of our sin and turn to him as Lord and Savior we can be saved that is God's love towards sinners Paul sums it up in Romans 5 8 but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us the second part of that statement says that God hates sin What is sin? Sin is anything that goes against his nature and character. Right? God does hate sin. It's very clear through scripture that God hates sin. Paul says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. What we earn through our sinful actions is death, both physical and spiritual. So the issue with this statement is not its truthfulness, It's not even a misunderstanding, really. The problem with it is that if it is left on its own, it can lead to problems. Because what many people put out there when they talk about this is the belief that God loves sinners unconditionally. Unconditional love. Which would mean that God hates sin conditionally. For God to love sinners unconditionally, meaning that there is nothing that a sinner could do that would make God not love them, it would have to mean that God could only hate sin conditionally. For, hate, for God to hate sin conditionally, it would mean that there are only certain sins that he hates and, and that there are certain sins that he is more or less okay with. Maybe he hates them all, but not all to the same level. Right? Maybe he doesn't mind the little white lie, he just hates the great big lies. Maybe he can handle just a little bit of hatred in your heart as long as it doesn't turn into violence. Maybe he can handle a little bit of lust as long as it doesn't turn into adultery. But this is not what the Bible says about God and his love for sinners and his hatred for sin. The Bible actually says the opposite of this. It is not that God loves the sinner unconditionally and hates sin conditionally. It's that God loves sinners conditionally and he hates sin unconditionally. If you want proof that God's love for sinners is conditional, all we have to do is look at one of the most famous Bible passages in all of Scripture, which is that John 3.16 through 18. So let's take a look at that for a moment. Almost everyone in our culture has heard of John 3.16. Some have heard of 3.17. Those verses make everyone feel good. John 3, 16 and 17, Jesus says this, For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here, Jesus says God loves everyone in the world says there that he loves them so much that he would sacrifice his one and only son. Why? Because he loves us enough that he does not want to condemn us. He loves us. He does not want to condemn us. He wants to save us through the work of Christ. We all really like that. We love the idea of God being love, that he loves us. Where we lose some people is John 3, 18 which is not known quite as well. This is where Jesus goes on. He says, anyone who believes in Him, being Jesus, but anyone, I'm sorry, anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Do you see the condition in those verses? What's the condition that we find there? Belief. Belief. Belief is the condition for then unconditional love, right? What is the consequence for not meeting the condition that has been set forth by God? Condemnation. If you want to avoid God's condemnation, then you have to believe in Christ. This passage shows that God loved everyone generally. It's not a special love, it's a general love that was sent to to the world for everyone, all people of all time, all races, it does not matter. He sends his son to avoid condemnation for the world, and the condition that is required for that is belief. You have to repent and you have to believe. What we miss in this passage, though, is God's hatred for sin. What we miss is that we have an association with sin because it's part of who we are. And therefore, if God hates sin because it is a part of who we are, he also hates sinners. That's what we miss in that statement. That God loves the sinner but hates the sin. What it should say is that God loves the sinner and hates the sin. The sin that is part of their life. The part that makes them a sinner by nature. We often gloss over that part of the statement because it makes us uncomfortable. We try to detach sin as though it is something outside of us that we get into occasionally. It's like, okay, well, I'm doing this over here, but there's a temptation over there, and I'm going to go get into sin. That's not how it works. When I'm over here doing my thing, sin is inside of me, it is waging war against me, it is trying to get me to pull away from the Creator God, the Holy and Righteous One. Sin is not something that I do, it's part of who I am. And God hates sin. And that is wrapped up in who I am. So in order to get a a fuller visual of how God feels about sin and sinful people, I wanted to take a little walk through the Old Testament together. Let's look and see what God has to say, what some of the Old Testament writers have to say in Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6. We've got a Psalm of David where David says this about God. He says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. He doesn't say that you hate the the, the evil things that evildoers do. He says, you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. So... I hope just in that one verse, if you that one passage, if you just left that sitting there and put that beside this idea that God loves the sinner but hates the sin, these two things aren't really jiving. He hates evil people. He abhors those who are violent and treacherous. In Psalm 11, verses 4 to 7, this is also from David. It says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord, His throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but He hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let Him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see His face. He hates the wicked. Clearly, David believed that God detests wickedness. Clearly, he believes that God detests wicked people. But that could just be God's or David's opinion, right? I mean, he's he's writing. That maybe that's just how David thinks God should feel about it. Well, let's go take a look at what the author of Proverbs chapter six, verses sixteen to nineteen, has to say. In Proverbs 6, 16-19, it says this, The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to Him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Notice, in all of this, right? Because a lot of times we try to separate our sin from who we are. It doesn't say that God hates arrogance or lying or bloodshed or evil thoughts or divisiveness. What does he say? He says that he detests arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. It's not just the sin that he hates. It's not just the sin that he detests. It's the person doing the sin. Right? He's not separating the arrogance from the eyes. He's not separating the lying from the tongue. It's all part of the, the whole. The author points out that he even detests the evil that is going on in the heart. It's not just the doing of the thing that God detests. It's the, the thinking of the thing, the desire for the thing that goes against his nature and character. But here again, yet, we still have not heard God speak directly about that. Don't get me wrong. I I firmly and emphatically believe that the entire Bible is inspired by God. Every time someone speaks, we are hearing from God on that. But so with all of these misconceptions, uh, I want to bring evidence from what I'm saying about the Bible. And here I want to point out. Some things so that you see that this isn't just my opinion. It's not what I think. It's what God thinks. So let's see what God actually says through the prophets about his feelings about wicked people. Right? Beginning in Hosea 9, 15. Hosea 9, 15, it says, All their evil appears at Gilgal, for there I began to hate them. I will drive them from my house because of their evil, wicked actions. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Malachi 1, through 1-5. A pronouncement. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you asked, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom says, we have been devastated, but we will re- rebuild the ruins. The Lord of Armies says this, they may, be, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord has cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say the Lord is great, even beyond the borders of Israel. Zechariah eight sixteen to 17 These are the things you must speak. Speak truth to one another. Make true and sound decisions within your city gates. Do not plot evil in your hearts against your neighbor and do not love perjury for I hate all of this. This is the Lord's declaration. The Bible clearly states that God hates sin and the Bible clearly states that God hates wicked people. Hates them, abhors them, detests them. And most people aren't shocked by that, really. Most people aren't. I mean, if, if there is a good, loving God out there, they're going to, He's going to detest that which is evil. Right? He's going to detest them. Those people. Those people who are wicked. Those people who are evil. The problem is, though, we don't consider ourselves as part of them or those. We think, hey, I'm a pretty decent person, right? I don't lie a lot. I don't steal a lot. I don't have lustful thoughts a lot. I don't covet other people's stuff a lot. So, right, we put that in that conditional, the sin that God is okay with conditionally, because it's not a lot. But the problem is Paul, the Apostle Paul, will not give us the the leisure of considering ourselves good people, decent people. If we look at Romans 3, verses 9 to 18, we don't get to hold a very high opinion of ourselves. Romans 3, 19 to 18, it says, What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We need to understand clearly that outside of Christ, there is nothing good in us. And we need to make sure that as we share that truth with people, we need them to understand where, like what happens if they don't do something about this through Christ. Right? There's nothing good in any one of us. And if we stand before God in our own righteousness, we are in serious, serious trouble. I want you to look at this in Hebrews 10, 26 and 31. It says, if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Did you hear that? It's a terrifying expectation of judgment. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who is regarded as profane, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the reason why this misconception is so dangerous. Because often we don't follow that up. We use it as sort of an olive branch, an opportunity to open the conversation about salvation or the gospel with people. It's, no, 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 God loves you. He just doesn't like some of the things that you do. And if we leave it there, then we are leaving people in condemnation. Every single one of us outside of Christ are considered evil. So when we, when we present that in that way, and we do, we do no follow-up, we just, we just it basically it's wanting to make people feel better about themselves, better about how God feels about them. That's how we often use it. Now, I'm not saying if you follow it up and give it context, it's completely wrong. But it is dangerous just to leave it as it is. If you put that out on your Facebook post or your Instagram post or whatever it is that you do on social media that, you know, God loves the sinner but hates the sin, like, it's it's not enough. You can get people to settle into this idea that God and I are on good terms and outside of Christ, there are no good terms. We are all deserving of condemnation and separation from God forever. Death and eternal separation in hell. And there is no hope apart from Christ. There is no little conditionally hated sin in the eyes of God. And we have all sinned and fallen short of his glory. There is the only hope to be found is hope in Christ. We, we see this hope in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which says that there is nothing that we have done to have earned this gift of salvation. Paul there says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also." But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. We are all evil and wicked people. There's a theological concept about our sinfulness that talks about total depravity. And in that total depravity, it does not mean that we are as bad as we could possibly be. What it does mean is that there is no part of us that isn't corrupted by sin. There is no part of us that has not experienced that influence. And therefore, because of that, there is nothing that we can do to warrant that salvation that is offered in Christ through the cross. And that wickedness pervades the entire world. I put on on your guide there that we don't, we're not going into all of it, but you see what God does when wicked people are wicked, right? You see that in the flood, Genesis 6 through 8. You see that in Sodom and Gomorrah where God goes to destroy a city. And Abraham says, hey, if you find just a handful of people there that are not, what if some of the people there aren't wicked? And he goes, well, fine. If there's not, he keeps going down the number. The number keeps dropping. What, what about this number? What about this number? If, how about if you only find five? And he goes, well, if there's five, I won't destroy it. And what happens? Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed. God is not okay with our sin. He does not fool around with our sin. But we do see ourselves in a divine paradox when it comes to God's love and his hatred of sinners. We see that divine paradox in the cross. Right? In the cross, we can a- answer the question, does God love sinners? Yes, look at the cross. At the cross, Jesus goes and suffers and dies and experiences the wrath of God so that God can show His love for sinful people. Because without Jesus going to the cross on our behalf, there is no hope of reconciliation to a holy and righteous God. Does God love sinners? Yes. Look at the cross. And on the flip side of that, does God hate sinners? Yes. Look at the cross. Jesus has our sin on his shoulders and the full wrath of God comes crashing down on him. Isaiah 53, 4-6 says that Jesus was struck down by God and was afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him. The Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. Does God hate sinners? Yes. Look at the cross. That's supposed to be us. That's what we deserve. That's what those who are separated from God because of no relationship with Christ, that's what they can expect. we will all stand before a holy and righteous God one day in judgment. And on that day, we will see exactly how God feels about sinners and sin. Because someone is going to pay for your sin that day. And it's either going to be Christ who paid for it 2,000 years ago on a cross so that you could have restoration with God and have joy and fulfillment A fulfilled life forever or you will stand in your own righteousness of which there is none you will stand condemned because of the sin that you have committed but if you have put your faith in the atoning work of Christ then the answer is yes God does love sinners because I still sin I am still a sinner who is saved by grace I have a different name now, though. I'm no longer known as a sinner, I'm known as a saint because of who Christ is and what he has done for me. And my question is to you today, are you still known as a sinner or are you known as a saint? If you have put your faith in Christ, then it is true, God loves you, even though you are a sinful person and he still hates your sin, but he loves you because of Christ. And there is nothing that you can do to make him love you anymore because he loves you because of Jesus. And there is absolutely nothing that you can do to make him love you any less because he loves you because of Jesus. But if you are here today and you have not placed your faith in Christ, you stand condemned right now. And God loves you enough to give you time, to see the truth, to have your eyes open, to pursue after Christ, to put your faith in him, to to receive the free gift of salvation. He loves you enough that you aren't dead yet. But if you go to your last breath, or if he returns before you have placed your faith in Christ, you will be condemned, and you will be condemned for an eternity. Does God love the sinner but hate the sin? Yes, but with a lot of conditions around that that really need to be explained to people. And if you're here today and you need to talk about that more, this this is a great discussion topic. If you want to talk about it more, I would love to have that conversation with you. If you're here today and you feel the weight of sin on your life and you are looking for, for salvation, for release from that, come talk to me. If you're here today and you have accepted Christ and you're, you're just struggling with a sin pattern that you can't seem to get rid of, come talk to me. I want to walk with you through that. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I really, really want to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Father, it is my desire that we would all understand the seriousness of sin that we would all understand the consequences that it has in our life that it is always a lie that there is fulfillment to be found in it Lord I pray that when we speak to people about the beautiful news of the gospel that we don't step away from the realities of sin and what it causes in our life and the consequences of it. Lord, help us to not reach out to people with Christian platitudes and kitschy little sayings that make us feel better when in reality we are people who stand condemned if we are apart from you, apart from Christ. So my heart pours out to the Holy Spirit today, Lord, please there is anybody here that is far from you let today be the day of their salvation but as we take this message to those who we love and who are in our circle of influence I pray that we would be passionate about explaining the realities of sin and death and condemnation and the beauty of the gospel the beauty of the cross which showed how much you love sinners and yet also how much you hate sinners I ask all this in your son's precious heavenly name. Amen.